to open up with me to Galatians chapter 4. As you turn there, let me just say thank you for uh, your love for the Nips uh, and for the church. I know that your pastor and his family are on your mind, and in many ways it is hard to preach after last week's announcements of Josh's condition, but uh, if there's one thing that our church has always tried to do, whether it's in sickness or in health or whether we didn't really know what was next, is to do what verse 19 tells us. And so if you look at verse 19 there, chapter 4, Paul says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So we will continue to press on in preaching God's word and trusting him until Christ is formed in each of you. So we'll do that this morning, but before we do that, so we're going to go be, uh, this morning our passage is verses 21 through 26. Uh, I just want to make a quick comment too. Uh, from last week, Joel preached uh, from previous passage and applied it very well to our church. So if you haven't gotten the chance to listen to it, I encourage you to go and do it. Uh, but verse 13, I'm just going to point something out to you that I think is timely. Paul says, you know that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. All right, we don't know a lot about this bodily ailment. We don't know why it came. We don't know any of the details of it. Uh, but we do know that Paul suffered. And the truth is that ailments are pretty normal for pastors. All right, this is normal throughout history. And this is a lot of due to two really main reasons. One, the weight that they carry as pastors, and Joel uh, preached on that last week, but also the reality of the spiritual oppositions that pastors face week after week because of their work. The devil hates it. So, no, those two things make it very common throughout church history for pastors to be beset with illnesses and weaknesses, and it's because they give themselves, they give of themselves to the sheep. In many ways, Pastor Josh's condition is made worse because he's bore burdens for so long, right? And he's had to carry much for many, many years. And even that is to his gain. Right? Even that's to his gain. Because it is a worthy sacrifice to suffer in our bodies to see Christ glorified. So I just want you to know, this is not uncommon. We're not the only church that has ever had to think about these things. And God has been faithful. He will be faithful to us. And we trust him because we know that we need God's help. So thank you for your love and for your prayers. This keeps falling. Let's try this. With that, turn with me to verses 21 to 26. Why does this matter? Let me print it to you before, on you before we start. I want to help you live as Christians. All right, I want to help you live as a Christian. And Christians live specific ways. By faith and not by works. Right? This is the whole, past, the whole theme of this book. You live by faith and not by works. And this also matters to you because I want you to be blessed. And I want you to receive the blessings and the promises that God has promised to you in the way that he has promised it. I want you to be blessed and experience the fullness of joy that comes from actually waiting with faith on God's blessings. Because the fact is that there is much danger to your walk, to your families, if you don't walk by faith and instead rely on your own efforts. So today's sermon is a cautionary tale of what happens when we don't trust God 
and instead we think we seek to take matters into our own hands. My hope is that you will recognize ways in which you refuse to rely on God and repent of the ways in which you want to take God's place because God is the only one we can trust and we don't often live like that. So let's read and pray and see what God has for us this morning. Verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and to sit under it and to uh, seek to apply it to our lives. Thank you that there is much good and blessing that comes from heeding to your word. And so, Father, would you accomplish what you want to accomplish through your word this morning? Would we hear from you and from your spirit? Would your spirit convict us and encourage us to walk faithfully before you? And Lord, continue to shed from each of us any desire to cling to our own works, to cling to our own righteousness, to cling to our own ability to uh, bring any favor before you, Lord, that we would think more lowly of ourselves and think more highly of your son, Jesus Christ. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul's main point is that the true children of Abraham come by grace, not by works. So let's look at verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Okay, so he's talking to the Jews who say that they can be made right by following the law. The Jews boast in the fact that they think that they listen to the law, right? They're the true followers of the law. They're the ones who really know Scripture. And so Paul here effectively saying, you who claim to be the ones who are people of the word, do you even listen to the word? Do you listen to what the word says? Because all of scripture, as Paul is going to point out, points to the fact that we're not saved by our works, but that we're saved by grace. And the Jews missed it. They thought that their works could bring God's blessing, when in reality it all depends on God and all depends on faith and grace. So all of Scripture testifies to this, and now Paul, what he's going to do to drive his point forward is look back to Abraham, one of the foundational characters of the Jews, and we'll see that Abraham's story and his children show that the children of the promise come by grace, not by works, not by the flesh. And so what Paul is going to do is he's going to contrast these two. So he's going to contrast those who believe in the grace against those who believe in works. He's going to contrast those who live as if they're sons of Isaac against those who live as if they're sons of Ishmael. And Paul, what he's saying to the Jews is that when they live as if their works could bring any good and their works can grant them favor before God, they're acting more like sons of Ishmael rather than sons of Isaac. They're acting more like sons of the flesh rather than sons of the promise. Okay, we see that verse 22. For it is, by, it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. 
But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be a... Oh, no, actually, let's stop right there. 22 and 23 is good. No, let's keep going. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These two women are covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. And let's stop right there. Who are Isaac and Ishmael? If you know your Old Testament history, you'll know, yes, they are sons of Abraham. Um, but the question is, who are the true sons of Abraham? So look back with me. So if you would actually grab your Bibles, maybe keep on a finger there in Galatians 4. We're going to flip back to Genesis and look at Abraham's story. <coughs> we're going to be, ch- Genesis chapter 15 is where we're going to start. As you're turning there, though, let me just tell you, you should love the Old Testament. All right? You should really love the Old Testament. I know sometimes it's hard to read. I know it's sometimes really hard to apply. But you should love it as a revelation of God himself. This is how God revealed himself. And so you should treasure You should study it. It will actually help you understand the gospel more fully. The God of the Old Testament is not different from the God of the New Testament. If you love the God of the New Testament, you should love the God of the Old Testament. There's a reason why Paul doesn't just make his point and keep going. He actually points back to the Old Testament because it's good, and it helps us to see a living illustration of the gospel and what Paul is talking about. So Genesis 15, let's read verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. All right, God promised right here. Here's God's promise. Abram, it seems impossible, but you will have a son. Not only will you have an heir. Okay, Abram thought, well, everything is going to go to my heir who's not even my son, just my servant. And God said, no, you will have your own son. You will have an heir, your very own son, from your body. And we know that God's promises are always true, right? We believe God's promises to always be faithful. In the same way today, we know that God has made promises to us as his children. The question is, we know God. We know God makes promises. We know God is faithful. The question is, how are we going to respond to God's promises? One of the issues that we have is that we take God's promises, we believe them, but oftentimes we distort them. And we distort them how? We distort them by trusting in the object of the promise more than the giver of the promise. Again, we trust the object of the promise more than the giver of the promise. Abraham was so intent on bringing the promise, I will have a son, that he said, I will do whatever I have to do in order to make this happen. And again, isn't that what God said? God said, I would have my own son, so therefore I should go ahead and do it in whatever means I can, take matters into my own hands. 
But that's what we'll see here, right? That was not good. Let's keep reading now. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Okay, so it hasn't happened yet. They're still here years later. They still haven't had a son. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, quick thing. That statement right there. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. If you know, remember Genesis 3, right? What God told Adam and Eve, you already know this is trouble. When Abram listened to the voice of his wife. You remember what happened in the garden? And now... We're going to see what happens when Abram listened to the voice of his wife. You know something bad is going to happen. But let me just make a quick point. Husbands, right? That doesn't mean you don't listen to your wife. And you don't take her into account when making decisions for the family. But it does mean something. It means that you don't abdicate your responsibility. Right? What Abram did wasn't just listen and consider. It's he completely abdicated his responsibility and just let Sarah run the show. Right? The problem with Adam and Abraham, Abraham wasn't that they were very considerate. It's that they allowed their wives to lead them. And they listened to the voice of their wives instead of doing what they believed to do and take the responsibility seriously and actually lead. Because when Abraham, Adam and Abraham listened to the voice of their wives, much suffering came. Now, both Abraham and Sarah knew that God had promised that they would give him, he would give them a son. It hasn't happened. So instead of trusting again in God, they said, we will take matters into our own hands. Verses 3 and 4. So Abraham, after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived Okay? And it didn't take very long for the next passage. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. All right? Instead of waiting and doing things God's way, and the right, right thing to wait on God, instead they took Sarah's servant and got a son on their own terms. It's as if God needed help to bring the promise to, to, to be. They thought they could go outside of his will and actually aid God with this promise. But does God need help? Does God need our help to be faithful? He does not. The problem is when we think we're good enough to do only what we can do, and what we end up doing is just making a mess of everything. Chaos. And a big chaos ensued for Abraham and Sarah. Okay, Consequences come. Verses, verse 5. And Sarah he said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked at me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Okay, so immediately, it didn't take long at all for there to be consequences, for there to be a wedge of division happening between Sarah and Abraham and the servant. There was already strife. Not even long after they made that decision. Hagar was mistreated. And yet the rest of the chapter shows that God still had compassion on that whole messy situation. 
keep going to chapter 17. All right? 17 is God comes to Abraham again, and he recaps. He re- basically confirms the covenant to him. In verses 15, let's read 15 to 21. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. All right, hear that. Just Abraham is intent on the fact that Ishmael is going to be the one son of the promise. But Abraham does not get to choose. His words do not get to choose who's the son of the promise. Abraham is still set and intent on the fact that Ishmael would be the son of the promise. But what does God say? What does God say? God said, no. No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So God reveals that Ishmael is not the son of the promise. Okay, we see in Galatians 4, right? It's the son of the flesh is not the son of the promise. The son of the promise comes by grace. His plan, God's plan all along, was for Sarah to bear a son, to bless Abraham with a true legitimate son. This is really important. God's blessings would not come to Abraham as a result of Abraham's works. Abraham thought that he could do enough to make God's promises come to be, and he just made a mess of the whole situation. All Abraham was, was to do, all Abraham he had to do, was believe on God, not go outside of his will, even if it was against all odds, and not presume that his works could bring God's promises to pass. But he failed, just like you and I failed. Are you bearing the consequences of your failures? Flip a page or two to Genesis 21, and we see God bringing Isaac. Okay? The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And the name of Isaac. He was the son of the promise. The son that they don't deserve. The son that they couldn't make happen on their own. A hundred years old. Ninety years old. Impossible for any human to do. God was able to do it. And yet there's still consequences for what Abraham did. Right? Eight verses 8 to 21 there in chapter 21 are all of the consequences of Abraham's attempt to bring God's blessings on his own. Right? Hagar was sent away. Ishmael was sent away. They almost died. All because Abraham tried to take matters into his own hands. Ishmael would have died if it wasn't for God's compassion. And there's even more consequences than just that, right? God said that Ishmael would be a great nation, that many people would come from him. And do you know who the descendants of Ishmael are? We don't know all of them, but we do know we get a glimpse that eventually that they would be the enemies of Isaac's descendants. 
From Ishmael came the people of Midian, the Midianites. You remember the Midianites? They're the ones who subjected Israel to slavery during the time of the judges. Judges and Gideon. Gideon was freeing them from the Midianites. So from Ishmael actually came forth many, many people who would oppose God's people. They would bring death. They would actually join themselves with other nations to stand against God. Wars and pain, and as a result, all because Abraham trusted in his flesh. And even today, right, we see consequences of it even today. Right? Who are the two people that claim to be Abraham's true descendants? Right? You have Israel and you have the Muslims who claim to be descendants of Ishmael. Right? How much that's true, I don't actually know. But it's not out of the question to th- see Abraham's failure continuing to have an effect even today. That our sin actually has consequences. Your sin has consequences today and down the future. Trust in God. It will always go better. It will always go better because he's the one in control. So that's the story of Isaac and Ishmael. In summary, what do we have? We have God making a promise. He said, I will give you a son. Here's a promise. Then we have Abraham responding to that promise, not by faith, but according to the flesh, according to his works. And what does that bring? It brought death. The third thing we see is God in his kindness reconfirming that promise and then God actually fulfills the promise. In the same way, today, we have God's promises to us. Now, what will your response be to God's promises? You know many promises of God, whether that is that God will not abandon you, whether it is that he will provide for all of your needs, whether it is that he will forgive you of all of your sins, Whatever promise you're trusting that God has promised, will you respond with it by faith in God? Or will you bring it about by the flesh? Isaac was the son of the promise, by grace, not by works. Do you believe this? Do you believe for your life that God's Spirit came to you not because of anything that you could have done, but because God was gracious towards you and saved you and saw you even before the beginning of the world. He predestined you and adopted you as his son. If you believe this, then continue in this. Continue to live by faith day after day and don't put any stock in your flesh. Don't put any stock on what your hands can accomplish. Go back with me to Galatians 4 now. This is Paul's rebuke to those who try to find their righteousness based on the law and their obedience. Both Isaac and Ishmael are sons of Abraham, right? But not in the same way. Not in the same way. Not all sons of Abraham are true sons of Abraham. One was by the flesh, one was by grace. What did the Jews trust in? They trusted in their lineage. They thought that they were the true physical descendants of Abraham. Therefore, they were the people of God. They also trusted in their ability to keep the law and not disobey and do things better than the person next to them. But neither of those things are sufficient. 
the things that they trusted and failed them? Are you trusting in something that is lasting? Or are you trusting in yourself? Okay, do you still think that you can do enough things to please God? Do you still think that you can make yourself right before God? If so, you have to repent of that way of thinking. Repent of finding comfort. Okay, when the guilt of your sin comes and you find comfort in the fact that you've done pretty well this week. And so, you deserve better. Repent of that way of thinking. It does not depend on you. It depends on God. It doesn't depend on how well you have followed the law. God's grace has come to you because of his own gracious choosing. Repent of thinking you're doing well just simply because you're comparing yourself with others. You look at the person next to you and you think, I'm doing better than them, so therefore God must be pleased. That's not God's standard. God's standard is perfection, and that's only found in Jesus Christ. So abase yourself and rely on God and God alone, church. Paul is saying that there are two covenants, right? There's two, verse 22. He had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. The, slave, the, one, the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, right? Ishmael was born according to the flesh. Abraham made it happen no matter what. While the son of the free woman was born through promise. Abraham could not make that happen on his own. Now these two sons, right? Allegorically, Paul's saying these two may be interpreted allegorically. Allegorically. And when Paul says this, he doesn't mean that this is not a real story, right? This is a true story. This is history. But there's a lesson to be learned from this. So that's why there, there's an allegory. The son of the flesh against the son of the promise. These two represent two covenants. That's what verse 24 says. One is from Mount Sinai, right? And one is Jer Jerusalem. The one covenant is represented by Hagar. She is Mount Sinai. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar, verse 24. What's the significance of Mount Sinai? Anyone remember? Mount Sinai is the mount where the law was given, where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. The law was given to the people of God at Mount Sinai. So Hagar represents living according to the law, according to the flesh, being a son of slavery. If you follow the law and that's your righteousness, you will always be a son of slavery, and you will create more sons of slavery. The other covenant, though, on the other hand, represents Sarah. But not just Sarah, the physical Sarah, is as of lineage was all that mattered, but the Jerusalem above, verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. It's the spiritual Jerusalem. And what's the significance of Jerusalem? Well, it's the place where Christ was presented in the temple, right? The only one who could actually fulfill the law, he did it for us. Jerusalem is the place where Jesus died and rose again, the only hope that we have. This covenant is for those who try to find their acceptance with God according to Christ and Christ alone. They know that their works are worthless, and only God can do this work for them. Which one are you? Which one do your actions this week reveal that you are? What do your works reveal that you're trusting in? I plead with you to trust in Jesus and not in yourself because you're a terrible, terrible Savior. You really are a terrible Savior.
Abraham had two ways to respond to God's promises, right? Faith works flesh. Two very different outcomes. You, church, have two very different responses to God's promises. You can live as if you still were under Adam. If you do well enough, God will be pleased with you. You'll be a slave to that mentality the rest of your life. Or you can live according to Christ and be set free. Okay, don't you want to be set free? Two very different outcomes. So my prayer is that you would be found in Christ and run to him every single day. That you would not forget about Christ any day because you know that your whole life depends on him. That there wouldn't be a day in which you don't give thanks to God for what he's done for you because you know that any efforts that you bring to bear will never be enough. So Paul's call is to live as children of the free woman, children of the promise, and not according to the law. Now I have two applications, two like big picture applications for you uh, from this passage. The first one is to live by faith and don't take matters into your own hands. All right, so one thing you should hear from Abraham from Paul's message, live by faith and don't take matters into your own hands. Again, Ishmael is a picture of what it looks like to rely on the flesh rather than on God. When you trust in your own wisdom and your own strength, you end up falling short of the fullness that God has in store for you. You settle way too quickly. Think about this. Would Abraham and Sarah have been happy if Ishmael had been the son of the promise? No, they would not have been happy. It was evident pretty quickly, actually, that they would not be satisfied with Ishmael as the son of the promise. There was enmity and strife right away. In the same way, though, I want you to see, you will never be happy with your own efforts. You will never be happy with your own efforts to bring about good. You think you can give yourself what you need, but you're not capable. You think you're self-sufficient, but your own efforts will only lead to your demise. So don't settle for something that is less than the fullness of what joy that God has for you. It's really worth the wait. How so? Okay, what are some examples of ways in which we take matters into our own hands? We settle too quickly. Let me give you a few examples. You have a young college grad, right? Some of you are about to graduate from college. Some of you are thinking about college in the future. So you have a young college student about to graduate, looking for a job, right, to provide for their needs. They know that God will provide for them, and so they're seeking for God's will in their lives. But instead of trusting God to give them what they need, they rush to take maybe a really high-paying job that will require them to work on Sundays and be away from family and be completely dependent on the time that they have to be at work. The work that they will do will cause them to miss church most weeks and be away from their families. And so instead of being willing to trust God and take a pay cut— Okay, maybe keep looking for a job, take a pick and trust that God will provide for them. Instead of honoring God, they sacrifice their souls at the altar of provision. And they often excuse it by, well, I know God will provide. So this is his way of providing for me. I just kind of have to bear it. When in reality, you're not actually trusting that God may have something better, even if it means great sacrifice, financial sacrifice potentially. And that's hard for us to consider. Other ways, conflict resolution. 
right? Let's say you have something against your brother or against your sister. What's, you know that God has power to bring reconciliation and peace. You know what God's called you to do, and you know it's hard. You know it's going to involve difficult conversations. You know it's going to involve enduring in pain and maybe being accused, and maybe shedding tears and being misunderstood. But instead of following the practices that God has set forth in Scripture for conflict resolution, instead of having faith that those difficult conversations will bear fruit, you take matters into your own hands and you say, I will either ignore the problem, pretend it's not there, or run away from it in order to maybe gain fake peace, or you draw the line in the sand. You say, this is where I'm going to go. And if you don't come here, you're the problem. If you don't do this and this, you're the problem and I'm not. You refuse to come and reconcile when in reality it is you who's taking matters into your own hands. That's not living by faith. Wives, do you trust that God has started a good work in your husband? Do you trust that he can complete it? But now do you try to aid God by nagging your husband over and over again? Husbands, when your wife is not being a suitable helper as you think she should be, do you despair? Do you check out emotionally because she's not doing what she's supposed to do? You're too weak. You're too weak. You give up serving your family at the very first obstacle of opposition. Both husbands and wives should instead trust in God. Do what's required of you. Don't forsake your responsibilities. Do what is called even if the other person is not responding in kind and wait on God to bring change. Right? This doesn't mean you don't, when you wait on God, that doesn't mean you don't do anything. No, you serve God faithfully. You press on in the areas that he has given you to do where it's clear that you can follow God. But then you trust him in the areas where he is only able to work. You don't take matters into your own hands in places where only God can work. You cannot change anyone's heart. Another example, right? Some of you would love to be married, would love to find a spouse. You know, you know that whoever finds a wife, a good wife, finds a good thing. And women, you know that a husband would be a blessing to you, right? And so you want that blessing so badly that instead of trusting in God and continuing to wait and doing what you're called to do and growing godliness and selflessness, you want that blessing so bad that you start looking for it in the wrong places. And you start compromising. And you lower your standards, and you say, well, this won't be so bad, right? God wants me to be married. That's a blessing. So therefore, I will take matters into my own hands and get it at whatever cost. Let me tell you, that will lead to a very, very painful marriage. Don't take matters into your own hands. What if you're already in a relationship, right? It's a good picture of this. What if you're in a relationship? You really like the person you're with. You know you're going to get married and you want that intimacy that comes with marriage. 
And so instead of trading and trusting in God and the boundaries that he set, you rush physically. What happens? Do you get what you want? Not really. You end up hurting each other. You don't end up with the intimacy you desire. You end up with shame. And you actually damage one another in your relationship. Trust God. Trust God and wait on him. It was worth it was worth the wait for Abraham and Sarah, wasn't it? We're the blessings of that. We see the fruit of it. Trust God. The second point of application is this. Church, live as if everything depends on God. Live as if everything in your life depends on God. Because it does, right? Your salvation depends on God. You know that in your head somewhere, hopefully. Your salvation depends on God. Your sanctification depends on God. So what does this mean practically? If it all depends on God, that means that his promises depend on him and his timing, not yours. Which means that you can't do enough good to bring God's promises to fruition. You cannot do enough. You cannot force God's blessings to come, God's promises to be fulfilled in your own timing. You must wait and rely on God as if it depended on him. And as if he knew better. Because he does. And it does, it does all depend on him. Some of you are serving God because you think that if you do well enough, that God will usher in his promises and just bless you. And the problem, though, with that is that when you're serving and you're being faithful and you're doing it just with that in mind, you're trusting in the promise and the object of the promise rather than the promise giver, when the promises don't come in the timing that you think they ought to come in, you blame God instead of trusting him, don't you? You think that God has forgotten about you, when in reality you're just living by the wrong standard. You've set your own timeline. You've set your own standard. You've run your own lane in the sand. This is how God is going to be faithful here. And if he doesn't do this, he will never be faithful. But the truth is that you're completely at God's mercy. You can trust him. Whatever your lot or condition may be, you can live as if everything depends on God. And you can trust him because you're in good hands. Right? That's one of the beauties of trials. Trials actually remind us when you get to a point in life where you're so desperate and you know that nothing you can do is working and you're completely at the mercy of God, trials do a really good job of shedding you any self-righteousness, any ability of your flesh to change the situation. And you have to come to a point where you say, God, I cannot change this. You have to be faithful. You have to be the one that changes this, and I am at your mercy. Trials do this work in us, and this is really good. Because all of us should live like this. In health, in sickness, in great joys, in great trials. We depend on God for every single thing. Do you live as if that's true? Do you live as if you depend on God for every good thing in your life? The truth is, your life does not depend on you passing that exam. Your life does not depend on you getting that promotion. Your life does not depend on your spouse changing or your kids becoming better behaved. No, your life depends on God, and He is faithful. 
So don't make life about the little things as if that's all that matters. Don't base God's faithfulness to you on a certain standard that you have decided. Evaluate God's standard instead on the right standard, which is God's word and what he's done in his nature. That means that some of you will need to make decisions with faith. You will need to make decisions that actually put yourself in a position where you cannot trust yourself, you cannot bring these things to be, and you have to rely on God to work. Now, I'm just going to end this sermon this morning, and I just want to illustrate to you the beauty of actually putting into practice. Okay, what happens when you actually do believe on God? And I want to show you that it's not too late. Maybe it's been years, and you have been forsaking this teaching for a while, and you've really trusted in yourself, and it has not been going well for you. And you say, is there hope for me? I want you to see there was hope for Abraham. I want you to see the experience of the joy of walking in faith because eventually, by faith, you can get to the point where Abraham was. Right? Remember Isaac, his precious son, the son of the promise, the son that God brought at his old age. What did God call Abraham to do? He called him to sacrifice him. Remember, Abraham cherished Isaac as his only son. How did he respond the moment when God told him to sacrifice him? Again, God, he gives you a command. God gives you a promise. You have two options. Live by faith. Live according to your flesh. How did he respond this time? By faith. Abraham was so confident in God and his promise that he believed that even if he sacrificed him, that God could bring him back from the dead. Abraham trusted in God and God's goodness to provide against all odds that he, was, he willingly obeyed and was willing to give up the gift because he trusted that God was faithful. Abraham knew that God was faithful then. He was faithful then. He is faithful today. He will be with you. He will be faithful with you tomorrow. So trust them. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we praise you for your faithfulness. Your faithfulness is new every morning. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways in which we think we are able to bring in these promises to be. Forgive us for the ways in which we think so highly of ourselves. Lord, may not that be so. May we remember how sinful we are before you, how little and weak our faith is. And would you comfort us and encourage us to live by faith and not by sight? Would you help us to live not as the world sees, not according to what our neighbor would want, but according to your standards, Lord. And would you bless our church as we seek to be faithful in this? We need your help. So we ask for your help because we depend on you for everything. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.